Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. And I am Charles Gustine. Whoa! Whoa! Hi, Charles! <laughs> Charles Gustine of, of Iconography Podcast? That That is that Charles Gustine, yes, he's here. <laughs> Oh, Charles, good. Charles, thank you for coming on the show for this uh, very special episode, um, which I believe is making good on one of our uh, Patreon promises. Yes, it is a pleasure to be here. Like, basically, we're we're going to be going referencing back to like the first episode of this podcast of those happy places, which is Haunted Mansion. Like, I brought it to the table. Like, my Patreon reward is to watch like a ride related movie with you guys and you were like oh yeah like black pearl and i was like let's do haunted mansion it may not be the most pleasant experience but we gotta break <laughs> we gotta finish the cycle you know uh, it's right. perfect it's it's like poetry uh each stanza kind of rhyming with the next and to kick <laughs> off the the next year of our podcast it might as well start with uh the haunted mansion again um but this time from a new exciting question mark angle <laughs> exclamation yes, a, point a exclamation point exciting angle um we're going to be approaching uh the haunted mansion again in this episode but this time from the point of view of the 2003 film starring eddie murphy um charles you uh you told us that you wanted to watch this movie with us uh because this is one of the very few dvds that you physically own in your collection um how did how did this movie um come into your collection and 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 why do you think you can answer that i don't remember precisely when i don't own a lot of movies i do own this one i will say not in my defense because i don't think i need to defend it Um, absolutely not we'll, we'll talk about where i am on this movie now but when this movie came out i was 14 um Pirates had come out earlier that year, Curse of the Black Pearl. Uh, I was kind of getting into uh, the the notion of Imagineering around this point, I, th- I think. But I was also, uh, I think, still at the age, at 14, I am ashamed to say, where I don't think I really had my eyes and ears open when I was riding the Haunted Mansion uh, at Disney World. <laughs> so I think one of the reasons that I really probably enjoyed Haunted Mansion the film even though I knew that it wasn't um, well rated on something like Rotten Tomatoes which I don't think I cared about at that time uh, is because I didn't probably have strong associations with the ride but I did sort of have strong associations with like Disney ride movies because of Pirates Uh, so yeah I and and I and I Later on, maybe a few years after, I got like, there are these books by Jason Sorrell that are like these in-depth looks into Pirates and the Haunted Mansion that um, like the first three quarters of the book is about the history of the rides and like the different versions around the world. And then the last quarter of the books is about the film adaptations. And so I leafed through those books so many times. I I took the Haunted Mansion one out last night to revisit uh, it, it's very glossy. It's like a coffee table type thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, yeah, uh, it was interesting revisiting it now that I have revisited the film uh, after many years of doing like film related podcasting and realizing that the film isn't that great. Um, it's <laughs> certainly not a great ride adaptation now that I am many years on like fully obsessed with the 
the iconography of the haunted mansion. Um, <laughs> um, speaking of the the iconography of the haunted mansion, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about your podcast. I want to ask you um, to to those who are listening who might not be familiar with iconography. Um, what exactly do you do with your with your podcast? And what like what do you you focus on? And then what about that subject uh, has drawn you to the haunted mansion? Right. So my podcast is a history podcast, but I say it's kind of history-ish. It very much lives in the present day. And it's about the way that we, like the collective we, kind of interpret things that become iconic uh, and that they resonate with us in such a way that they become sort of representative of a place. So I started it when I was living in London, not a British person. And I was kind of wrapping my head around those weird icons that we kind of know about as Americans, but don't a lot, like Guy Fawkes, um, those sorts of things, which, you know, we might know mostly through V for Vendetta. And that's very much kind of my approach is incorporating in a lot of literary and film criticism, which um, I think maybe the sixth episode of my podcast was actually a, I, I, I had a previous podcast that was a podcast in the sense that I made it, but not a podcast in the sense that it ever made it where people could listen to it. Um, <laughs> it was called Context Sensitive. And the, the second episode of that uh, came out the month that Crimson Peak came out. And once again, I say came out as if uh, it actually was released, which it never really was. And so I re-released it uh, as Iconography Episode 6, and um, that episode is like a really deep dive, both like down the rabbit hole into the difference between um, British ghost stories and American ghost stories and what sort of approaches they take to the past and then kind of back up the rabbit hole through Gothic romance and the relationship that the two notions have with each other and the way that Guillermo del Toro is playing with that in Crimson Peak. And as part of that, I do have a brief interlude in there about the Haunted Mansion movie, which I feel is interesting because it is fundamentally, even though it's set in New Orleans, a very British ghost story movie down to, I mean, like Terrence Stamp being the butler who did it. Uh, <laughs> right. But is fundamentally approached from this sort of American point of view of having a total lack of curiosity about the past. I mean, like American ghost stories being much more concerned with terror than mystery. Um, and so I touch on that a little. We're probably going to touch on it more. But that is the episode where I, I had a lot of Haunted Mansion ride and movie thoughts. And probably one of the first episodes that Alice listened to of my podcast, which is funny because the Haunted Mansion episode was the episode I fell in love with your podcast. Um, <laughs> um, I think it was the first episode right. I listened to because of our conversation we were having on Twitter about how good the movie Crimson Peak is, <laughs> or how much I love the movie Crimson Peak, Whereas I, where we can recognize whatever flaws it may or may not have, but that I will defend it forever, and that I had to literally get up in front of a crowd of people to defend it um, against Buddy, who was... Um, <laughs> who was fighting me about how good it was. <laughs> at, at the time, I would say that I was uh, quite uh, not misinformed, but uh, I had jumped to conclusions based on uh, perhaps ignorance of the genre and maybe having a preconceived notion of what Crimson Peak was going to be. Um, and it was the episode of your podcast, Charles, that 
got me to come around on Crimson Peak and really understand it um, and really appreciate it from for what it is. So I am eternally grateful, and I think Alice is too. Because I now, super am. Because she got the Trump now, card. Now, now she argument. doesn't have to yeah. fight me on it. Well, first right. of all, thank you. Honored. Second of all, I think that's really interesting because, I mean, the reason that Crimson Peak was sort of so maligned is because um, of this weird thing that I think isn't a thing, but a lot of people think is a thing, where it's one of those quote-unquote horror movies or like art house horror movies that isn't scary, um, which is a very subjective thing. And I think it owes a lot more to the lineage of films like The Others with Nicole Kidman and um, the, oh God, what's that movie called that's based on the turning of the screw from uh, the 60s, The Innocence, where it's like, what is going on in this house? Like, what is affecting the the temporality here? And like, the protagonists are genuinely, they, they are obsessed with it. And it's not so much that it's supposed to be scary as that it's engrossing and it's tragic. And it's totally kind of what the Haunted Mansion movie is going for, except that and we could kind of maybe pivot to talking about the movie like Eddie Murphy ain't about that. He's not he's not about that life. <laughs> he's not obsessed. Almost almost nobody in this film is interested in the film uh is kind of what it feels like Like, i think terrence stamp is the only one who is interested in the film really he's really there right and he's he's really there to be part of it but everybody else feels like they're acting in uh three other movies almost um and it does change depending on the scene too uh specifically with madame leota which alice and i we were we were talking a little bit about this before um where she is mysterious and wise and then she's like an underpaid cashier and (laughs) she shatters out of character mid film where it's it's almost as if the second that she's picked up off the stand she stops being madame leota and she starts being a, a a fun sidekick she hamster balls her way up to eddie murphy at some point meaning she can move independently without the ball but still like still cracks like four different jokes about how she's helpless and doesn't have arms or legs. I just, Which, I don't, for the I record, don't understand. It's actually my favorite part of the film. I, it's so funny. I really love Leota's turn to like comic foil for Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and also the source of like his change of heart. Like the one who gives the inspiring speech. Like it's so unexpected. And I think that like, she gets like Jennifer Tilly, who plays Leota in this, gets three or four like absolutely killer lines, and she kills them. Like uh, <laughs> it may be the only thing in the film that completely worked for me, uh, and only the part I think where she kind of makes that turn to being a little bit more silly. Because yeah, I don't know. Like there's nothing really all that special about the way that she interprets, you know, being like the Leota we know um, from the ride. To, to the point where I, I kind of had a little bit of trouble seeing her as ride Leota at all. Um, the effect is weird. Uh, her voice is not quite what I'd expect. Uh, and so much about this movie is not quite what you'd expect as an adaptation of the ride, if that makes any sense. Um, like, it, it really does feel like uh, like the music, right? Like, the, the soundtrack could just be the haunted mansion soundtrack like they could just use parts of it 
but they don't really. They kind of use it just a little bit, um, very sparingly and in an odd way, um, especially in the introduction. They, I would uh, say what I what my what my position on it is is that the only the the, the problem, and I actually do have a note here about music um, because um, okay. The only thing that's memorable about the Haunted Mansion soundtrack is how much it quotes the first four notes of the Haunted Mansion ride, uh, and not much else, but it quotes it, it must be 15 times, and I have to compare it, because it's impossible not to compare it to Black Pearl, which came out the same year, which could you imagine if the Black Pearl soundtrack, which is hands down phenomenal super memorable has multiple themes in it that have like resonated through the years if their position was basically like so we're just going to do variations on yoho right like we're just gonna we're just gonna turn it into a canon um they don't like none of the music that's memorable from black pearl is based on the ride uses it yeah that's true. I would say that the worst music in Black Pearl is is the rendition of Yoho. Um, the I mean, it's it's a great spooky scene when she's when she's singing it at the beginning. But then, yeah, it repeats itself just one other time in the film when they're dancing around the fire, and then that's just that's just it. Like, there's no other. There's yeah, they get a full Hans Zimmer score, um, and this apparently much larger budget than the haunted mansion but the haunted mansion was the november like holiday release film for disney in 2003 whereas black pearl was like the fun summer blockbuster but like which one did i mean you asked me this question charles over over twitter um since 2003 how many times have i watched curse of the black pearl versus how many times have i watched the haunted mansion seen the haunted mansion one time in theaters uh, when it was out in 2003 and then today, this afternoon, um, I've seen Crystal Black Pearl like 25, it, 30 times. It's a generational it's, movie. Like it is, it is both, oh, it is not overrated. It is so seeped into the culture for so many reasons and yet is actually underrated as a film. Curse of the Black Pearl, obviously not Haunted Mansion, which I mean, yeah, <laughs> somewhat suffers from being from a point in Eddie Murphy's career that does not get looked at a lot, which is that kind of like daddy daycare, um, Pluto Nash area. <laughs> wow. His oeuvre. Oh, wow. You just reminded me that Pluto yeah, Nash exists. Um, and, and so, I mean, Good fundamentally, cut. yeah, this is this is an Eddie Murphy movie in a way that I don't think that Black Pearl, even though obviously, you know, like Johnny Depp was nominated for an Oscar and Jack Sparrow has been a very pervasive part of that movie saturating the culture, it wasn't a Johnny Depp movie necessarily. It was a full cast of fully fleshed out characters. The protagonist was not was not Jack Sparrow. It was, you know, Will and Elizabeth and um they all there's that's the thing is like all of these characters in that film have a reason to be invested in what's happening not just like involved um but invested and they grow and change in surprising ways and we're surprised nothing about it is preordained and like the haunted mansion uh, in comparison i think one of the flaws if you're talking about how do you adapt a ride uh into a movie like ip that is ride into IP that is movie, which we haven't really seen since Haunted Mansion, um, which we will see again soon with Jungle Cruise. 
is it, 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 it almost seems like the flaw is that haunted mansion is a little bit too too structured around how the ride is structured it's it's a little bit hidden in the film but like pirates doesn't play that at all like it it quotes one or two scenes but not in any particular order and it really does come up with its own story yeah there are there are moments in the haunted mansion movie that uh really do stand out as ride scenes right um and they don't they don't occur until nearly 40 minutes into the film um, but but then but then it's just one after the other after the other after the other. It is it basically forty minutes into the Actually, film you start uh, riding yeah. the ride. They do the portrait hallway and they the breathing door and the attic room and in the I, same I mean, sequence you, that it happens in the ride. In, in, the entire act two of this movie is basically yeah. on the tracks of the Omni Mover. It's editing. It's switching between the different characters that are exploring the house in really abrupt. Um, ways, but they do it in the exact order it happens. Portraits, bust, door, attic, wedding dress, Leota, you know, even the flashback to the wall. They literally fall out the window into the graveyard. They literally fall out the window into the graveyard. I am so glad you said that. It and, stood out to me so sharply while I was watching the movie today. And neither he time. gets thrown out backwards. And neither time, twice he gets thrown out of the window. Once on the carriage, and once he, he gets thrown um, and neither, neither time does he die. Um, <laughs> no, no. So that that is, you know, going back to the the old day. We talked about it in our first episode of this podcast, where when you go out of the attic backwards on your back down a slope and land in the grounds of the Haunted Mansion amongst the 999 ghosts. Um, it's it, a lot of people haven't interpreted that as you dying, that you go from the highest point to the lowest point of, of the ride and that you are now in with the ghosts and you are dead. Um, Eddie Murphy doesn't die. <laughs> he, um, he survives both times. Take and, that um, death theory. Take that death theory. <laughs> but he literally goes backwards as if he's sitting in a chair out of the attic window and, and onto, uh, well, he lands face first hilariously on the glass um, like conservatory. Um, but then like that is just, it's, it's taken directly out of the ride and it's, in, it's cool. Right. And what fascinates me, well, well it's, sort, it, it's sort of cool. There's a bit of a, an interesting, not misreading there because they can do whatever they want. But like the thing that you see that pulls you back down to earth and really surprises you in the ride when you come backwards down into the graveyard is that there is a living human and a living dog and they are scared. Uh, And in this film, briefly, as you are Mm -hmm. dashing through the graveyard towards the crypts and the singing busts um, and seeing all the ghosts uh, having their revel, um, you see the dog and the man, but they're ghosts, um, which is. Yeah. They're not the living people right. that, that, that you see. Well, because the, the protagonists are the living people and, and everybody else is the ghosts. Um, but we are the living people on the ride. I mean, on the ride there, we're the audience. And right. to some extent, I think that the Evers family is supposed to stand in for that but i think that there's a complete absence basically no one outside of the evers family outside of terrence stamps villain uh ever becomes a real character mm-hmm. and i'd argue that i mean a lot of the characters in the evers family 
don't become become real characters. Megan, bless her, um, has no arc in this film. <laughs> I don't. Uh, um, I'm not sure why they nope. needed a second child. Um, because they needed a 13 year old who could read Latin. It was for the Latin. Was, That's what right, it was the for. The Latin did need to be interpreted. Um, right. There's there there is. Uh, as opposed to something like Black Pearl, where you can do the thing, where you can kind of break down what does this character want? What do they feel? How do they change? You can't do that with anyone but Eddie Murphy's character in this film. And right. I, I would argue that um, Eddie Murphy doesn't really undergo a, a genuine transformation. I mean, like... What is what is the change he has to make in order to succeed in this film? He has to remember that uh, his wife and kids need more attention than his work does. And and that's it. That he doesn't have to make that change to beat the ghosts. That's not something that that helps him. He finds out that he should try again. In in that's what saves him. Madame Leota says, yes. "Why did you give up, dummy?" And he's like, "You're right. Perseverance is is the key word today." And then he saves the day. But perseverance is what made him such a good real estate agent, right? And like never giving up on a right. sale. But that's also what makes him a bad dad and it's husband. Such, it's such a um, but it's he such succeeds. A light conflict. Like it's such a a a poorly drawn. Uh, you know, scolding wife, but not even really that much. Like she's, she seems to be humoring him. Uh, most of the time he does one thing and it's like not a big deal. He does another thing. It's totally a big deal. It's not a super believable family dynamic, which is interesting because as we said, none of the haunted mansion stuff really starts happening until about 40 minutes in which means that for the first 40 minutes this is fundamentally a film about a family having some sort of conflict trying to resolve that conflict but there's nothing to really hang your hat on there i i don't i don't think um it's i mean in in his uh i, I was reading roger ebert's review of the film earlier today and surprisingly it's a 2.5 out of four star review, he didn't. It's no, not didn't bad from either. Uh, he, he will talk about why in a little bit, I hope, um, which is uh, an interesting part of the film that the film never comments on, but is certainly there. But um, you know, the 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 part of the film that is totally uninteresting, like he basically says, like I forget exactly what he uses before the word realtor, but like you know, overworking realtor TM, you know, um, because it's that much. Right. It's totally. It's like every <laughs> Jim Carrey dad performance from like 1997 onward, you know, where. I mean, not to mention yes. not to mention Eddie right. Murphy performances. I feel like Eddie Murphy has l learned this lesson in film before he is he is hardworking dad tm in like i can in uh like you mentioned daddy daycare before uh he did it in dr doolittle he is i mean he's eddie murphy somewhere Imagine in the that. 2000s became yeah, he never not out of it yeah yes he didn't he he became from his like 80s uh like edgy cool like like uh, fun rebel kind of comedian to everybody's dad in the early 2000s <laughs> and and this is just a weird place in in Eddie Murphy film history that it's 
it's so it's like a distilled version of all of those characters. There's nothing identify nothing to identify this character uh, other than his enormous megawatt smile and um and almost almost nothing else. As much as Eddie Murphy is probably my favorite part of the film, he's maybe probably he my favorite character default. in I in mean, the film. Yeah. Right, he's he has to be he's exactly easily the one who's putting in the most work, but it does feel like he's working for it. Like it, it doesn't feel like things are coming naturally to him. Uh, not in the same way that say, like in a Beverly Hills Cop, he's so smooth. He always oh. feels one step ahead. Uh, he's always got something to say or some way to get out of the situation. In this, it feels like they give him like half of what he says, and he's supposed to fill in the blank. And he's yes. pulling from everything that he said that he it's, that he has. It's like they give him half of a script to the movie and then they just leave the camera on him for a while. And he riffs and 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 tries to make jokes. But they're usually just him repeating his wife's name over and over and over and over and over again. Just Sarah, Sarah, listen, Sarah, I'm sorry, Sarah, listen, Sarah, Sarah, like over and over and over and over again. And Sarah, oh, poor thing, gets less than no uh, character development at all. Gets- not only does she not get a character, but she gets a character forced upon her by another man that's not her husband. She gets literally dragged through the movie. And her her arc in the story is to be given a tour that turns creepy and right. then get possessed. Oh, wait, she's the audience of the Haunted Mansion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Take that, uh, Death Theory. It's actually possessed well, I mean, theory. technically the ghost ghost is trying to court us into death and joining the mansion, which is actually the the basically the um, the tour that Sarah is being taken on is like a recruitment package, you know? That's like, true. Yeah, almost That's true. exactly. So I have a question for you, Charles, then. Um, is... Uh, is Gracie the ghost host or is Ramsley the ghost oh, host? I would have to say it has to be Ramsley because as, right. as as much as I think, I mean, we'd said poor thing when it came to Marsha Thomason and, and Sarah, which I do think she's a bit out of her depth here. It's funny because she is a British actress and at the end of the film, she, because of the dual identity of her, character i guess and reincarnation gets to pull out the british accent but i don't find her a particularly convincing (laughs) american um which i don't often say about films but i think it's particularly noticeable here the actor who plays gracie uh who i don't know that i've ever seen in anything else isn't good he's not he's not a particularly compelling screen presence he's he's a very low rent hugh grant uh, sort of, sort <laughs> of a guy. Or, or I'm thinking more like he's, well, he's, he's not he's, handsome he enough is, either. I mean, to talk about the gothic romance, which you know, when we talk about Crimson Peak and Tom Hiddleston in that role, I mean, that's part of that lineage mm. of that goes back to Lord Byron. You know, um, mad, bad, and dangerous to know. That um, I think we can see traces of in, in both in horror and in gothic romance, like Darcy. Which where I was going with that is like, yeah, Colin Firth, or um, I forget exactly who mm-hmm. plays him in the Kira Knightley version. Who is <laughs> Matthew McFadden. Matthew McFadden, very close analog for what I think that this Gracie is trying to do here, but it is it, it is labored. It's labored. And so I think because of that, I mean, basically he has no agency either. 
in this particularly, although what he's doing is sort of knowingly creepy, even though he's blind to just how wrongheaded and creepy it is. Ramsley is the only character who knows everything and is in charge of everything. I think if there's a ghost host, it it has to be him. Although right. we do get a welcome foolish mortals to open the film that is not him. It's not him, and it's not the ride audio either. So I don't know who said that. And, um, and it's who it's, said that? <laughs> I guess take to to kind of take your point from earlier, Charles. That like focusing on the ride too much maybe was the misstep in this film. It's weird to hear the ride audio or a line from the ride uh, that really could have just been the ride audio. Like it really could have just been the original recording, but it's someone else doing a voice that's almost the ride audio and it was completely off-putting for the first line of the movie um, but isn't quite and and speaking of which i mean poor wallace sean oh poor has, wallace sean he has to trot out we could do it my way there's oh. always my way oh, God. It's, oh. it's so bad oh, <laughs> which, which it's so me, it's so I, bad which means me to another point which is like that's unnecessary. Let, let's let's be honest. That's an unnecessary quote. It it it's labored. It's forced. Which, which you know, I mean, honestly, like, so the two most iconic things probably in the ride that you have to hit are the hitchhiking ghosts and the singing busts, and they literally come one two on top of each other between the graveyard scene and the crypt scene. And the funny mm-hmm. thing is. Um, they cut some things from this movie. Like the hitchhiking ghosts were supposed to have a more prominent role. They tried to do things with the door, like the doors floating. And there's a bunch of stuff that they said, it just doesn't fit in our movie. But I find that funny because like, is there literally any information we glean from either the hitchhiking ghosts or the singing busts about what they're trying to do, which is find the key that's in the black crypt. No, Not in fact, even the the singing busts are even less than helpful when it comes to like they're they uh, like they they stop specifically at the singing bus to ask for help, and the singing bus just sing, and that and you're like, okay, that's cute for like a second, but they linger on those for the, for like so long, and then they let them come back at the end as if they were our our favorite friends from the movie, and we're just so excited <laughs> yeah, to see them again. Wrap them on top of the car, as opposed <laughs> to the hitchhiking ghosts who. You would well, obviously who were taken up in the in the rapture. At the oh end yeah, of they the get film. to go to heaven. <laughs> the real heaven that exists, and also the, real- the opposite of the real hell that exists. And the guys, I'm sorry, we're on a roll here, but can I? I have something to say. This um, is. Do you want to like step into your office really quick? And- if, if you guys wouldn't mind uh, joining me there in the office. I'm excited to go to the office for the first time. You can find, you know what? You're going to be the first person ever to see the, uh, that's not us, to see the inside of the office. Yeah, okay, so if you guys good. should just um, uh, watch out. There's, there's some cans on the ground. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it just just kind of kick them out of your way. Uh, there's a lot. And and watch out for the um, for the uh, moose's mounted head over here. I, I, it, was a, it was a gift. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I like that your office is is wallpapered with the haunted mansion wallpaper. Well, you know, I thought, it's, not, it's a nice touch, isn't right, it? Like the, Here, let me let me uh, let me close the door really fast. There, we're alone. <laughs> no one else can hear us. All right, guys. Now that you're here, I feel like this movie by ascribing to a heaven and hell 
very Christian dichotomy of the afterlife does away with all of the thematic complexity of the ride. And that might actually be at the center of maybe my biggest problem about it. Like, the idea that there is a heaven and that bad things make ghosts stay and that worse things makes them go to hell. It does. It, there's so much there and it can so I, much for death positivity. Am I right? Like, right. Right. Can I can I read you my my note that I wrote? This, Please. Is, this is the top of my notes. Heaven and hell. Question mark. Question mark. Ellipsis in Terabang. <laughs> introduces a morality into death and dying that I don't think the haunted mansion is really ready to handle. Absolutely not. not. Absolutely not. And it implies so much about like it, it beauty and the beasts, the characters, right? We're trapped here until the master of the house is manages to find his true love again. Right? Like how dare they? (laughs) how dare they and then it has the audacity to be like and now we will go to heaven and like we did a good job here and just say that like all that's left is heaven now like are you kidding me (laughs) it's it it was (laughs) i i had no memory of this happening from the last time I, i watched this movie my notes by the way um just read holy christianity batman um because because it's not just like a general oh we're gonna go to the good place or something like that it's like deliberately christian hell and christian heaven a hole opens up and sucks up the bad guy with a fire dragon like it's hell right also kind of also out of nowhere all he says is the is the words quote damn you all to hell unquote and then he gets he goes to hell instead he gets dragged me to hell it, and it's and interesting that this has this this is what we all like buddy you said it's like it has to be the first thing you think of but like it happens so late in the film and there is nothing in this film or the IP that it's inspired on but more so in this film for the first 80 minutes that implies that this <laughs> is possibly where it could end with hell literally opening up and engulfing the bad guy and then I, I remembered that part because it's it is memorable i did not remember that when the other characters are you know taken when they get to move on that it 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 does it it goes there and it's just like that's really the sky, goes there they don't the just guy is like a fade. michelangelo like the sistine chapel as they ascend <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. And and not to mention that as she becomes possessed, uh the uh Elizabeth like forms a cross with her body that glows. Yes. She goes she <laughs> she rises up in the air and her arms go out and she becomes a, a Jesus figure for a moment. But also why was Elizabeth the the ghost ball, the only ghost that didn't have like physical form? I don't mm-hmm. understand. I mean plot, but also like, it. I just. I, it was so. It made her this martyr, and and put literally put another personality on uh, on this other woman, who didn't ask for any of this, and also somehow cures her poison. I, that is right. that is inexplicable. I, it is a contrivance for sure that is meant to string us along and make sure that not too much information is revealed. It is briefly uh, 
ever so briefly brushed aside with like, that's just part of the curse. Like I, because I was the one who was murdered uh, initially, uh, <laughs> am trapped in this ball state and don't get to be a real ghost and presumably also get reincarnated because, because uh, uh, reincarnation is real right. if you don't ascend <laughs> exactly which is baffling <laughs> but um yeah all of that is true until the truth comes out only basically my curse will only be broken when the truth is revealed uh which is the letter oh my gosh okay just, you're, you're right it's just so much though and it's so much and alice your death positivity theory of the haunted mansion is part of what got us into thinking about theme park rides in a serious way. It's my personal favorite thing to think about while riding the Haunted Mansion. Like, the yeah. way the death could be joyous, the way that it can be, um, like, a natural part of life that, like, you can retire to this mansion and be dead and have a party and, like, it's all fine, right? Like, this good stuff. And not to mention yes. the femininity of death, which I feel like is also stolen by reverting it back to this uh kind of very this, christian very dualistic way of looking at things exactly with the christianity being as patriarchal as it is um uh, by like by definition and but also you're i mean you're right it takes all of the the positivity out of what the haunted mansion was by implying that there's somewhere else for them to go that they're stuck in purgatory he, he uses he the word says, purgatory there too he says there are worse things than purgatory um, so they are in purgatory they're in yeah. purgatory um which takes away all that was fun about the haunted mansion and the swinging lake and the and all of that like this like this when you're dead, your soul can imprint and is still here. The, the 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 souls of your loved ones are still here, and they're able to party with their other ghost friends. That they can, um, that you too someday will be reunited with your loved ones, and you can be here in this plane or or somewhere else. You don't know, but but that but that where you are, like if you are still on haunting this plane or whatever, that it's not a it's not a condemnation, and it's not. It's not damnation. It's this is it's just how it is. It's Which, just a by fact. By the way, before and, we leave the office, like I have to say, what is up with the <laughs> god in this universe? Like in other Disney films, where this sort of if you were there, you are cursed thing happens, like Sleeping yes. Beauty or like Beauty and the Beast. It is the work of a, in one case, vengeful, in another case maybe misguided if not vengeful like hag type figure and not literal yes. god what does what problem does god have with wallace sean in this circumstance <laughs> <laughs> wallace sean never did anything to hurt anybody <laughs> right he was he was just a coachman or something else in the house he was a cool steampunk coachman <laughs> with his very cool goggles and hat and i loved him an odd also, style choice in that moment by the way it it, it was it was delightful it definitely stands and out as like wow, that's oddly steampunk for this for this film <laughs> I was I was really into it and I made note of it too where I was like the goggles top hat look is very working for Wallace Shawn <laughs> and he's always a delightful addition to any film that he's in but like it, but 
he's caught up in this curse that he doesn't deserve. You're right. Because in, in, in Beauty and the Beast, it's a, it is a, a, an enchantress trying to teach one person a lesson that everyone gets caught up in. In this case, it is quite literally the Christian God telling an entire cemetery's worth of people, people who have presumably been dead for like a while. Or who continue to die around there. Maybe. I mean, it feels like there are eras here. Um, Right. And and so like the cemetery full of people who have who are like uh, generations of Gracie family probably uh, been living on this on this land or dead on this land suddenly get cursed to purgatory and don't get to move on to heaven. This isn't just where they hang out. They're literally stuck here. And that's a horrible thing to imply. And it directly contradicts the, the Haunted Mansion lore that as established as established um it's so strange and and i guess i guess i have one more thing and this may be taking it um a bridge too far but i feel like it's the movie's not afraid to go there with with spirituality and and religion and and to make a case and to have an opinion apparently um though like an (laughs) oddly stated one but this is a movie that feels like it wants to be about racism yeah and but it's not and it really isn't at all it's trying really hard to ignore that it's this about is, racism i mean it yeah. is I mean, but this, it's this not maybe we should step back out of the office and, and come into the light oh yeah let's that. go tell everybody what we found fa- what we found uh, out yeah, um yeah. and thank goodness that nobody heard that entire part of the podcast because that would be far <laughs> that would be very personal to us and Sens- we can't and so anyways well, content, yeah so yeah, I mean, and not one time in this entire film does it acknowledge that the um, that the Evers family is a black family, that um, possibly that the reason why the butler did not want Elizabeth and, and Edward to be together was because possibly because she was black. They never, they literally never it's implied she's not good enough for him or that he's throwing away his whole life to be with her. But like when we see her, she's in beautiful gowns and stuff. She's not like, like it's not like a, a class thing. Well, and so it, what is but it? It is implied that they would have to run away and he would have to give up his entitled life in order to do it. It, it is, it, there's no probable about it in my mind. It is as textual as subtext can be. And in Ebert's review, he actually <laughs> says, I don't know whether the fact that this is a film at a time where, while film had come a long way, it would have been unusual to see a a, a, a blockbuster film that was completely about a Black family um, and, and was not concerned with how white people saw them and also was motivated by was about an interracial relationship even if the film never brings it up it is very much there it is there on the screen for you to see um whether the fact that the film never explicitly brings that up and makes a big deal about it is progressive there's an argument to be made that the fact that it's so casual is progressive or puzzling now there i think (laughs) if it were a better film it could be progressive but because of the way that it sort of stumbles towards that conclusion, and honestly, the very clumsy handling of the entire um, origin story of this in the opening credits without any dialogue, um, in, in, in poorly staged, poorly edited, um, it's just, it's very clumsy. And so it becomes puzzling. 
Um, but it is very important to the film. I think it's, it is important because the one thing above all that Eddie Murphy brings to the film outside of his commitment or the way that he portrays the character is being Eddie Murphy. And I think, I mean, uh, in my Jason Searle book, the, the one where it talks about the making of the film, apparently he was thinking about making a haunted house film at that time. Um, because there is a famous bit from his stand-up comedy in the 80s where he does the thing about, you know, black people in a haunted house, like, we would we would be out of there, you know? Um, so that's yes. a whole part of his persona that I think it's interesting for him to have explored and done a horror movie and in an interesting way, perhaps tying his wagon to the Haunted Mansion IP makes it it makes it both more or and less interesting than it might have been if he had made a film about it on his own which i mean get out I get agree. out actually I, I think is. he's I mean, get out is that film right right that's what so i i had i i was gonna bring up get out also because there there are there were several moments in the film that made me think about get out like these the, this uh this white household bringing in a black family and and psychologically torturing them with like the kids worst fear and everything it's very um it's really intense but they never they i mean i agree that the argument could be made that it's progressive and that it's not part of the story and therefore it, it almost um like by by ignoring by ignoring the race of the family that's there that it's like oh it's progressive because it's it's you know we're not talking you know it's race blind or it's colorblind or or whatever but i think I, and i and i don't think i i get to have the definitive opinion on this by any means but i think by ignoring it entirely it's it kind of it ignores a little bit of what eddie murphy's comedy has always been about and ignores uh cultural context and and i think that that does a a disservice to the audience that's watching the film yeah um i i think the there's a more interesting version of this movie that isn't afraid to tackle the idea of racism in the south and a wealthy family that was torn apart by uh, this marriage that never got to be and then the the scars that that leaves on not just the home but the surrounding area and and really actually tackle that in like a very very deep American horror way um, like actually us talking about our collective ghosts are things that haunt us as a society but is it the Haunted Mansion movie? I mean... <laughs> it's absolutely not a Disney Haunted Mansion film, so maybe Disney should never have made this film. Certainly not in 2003. And uh, Alice, when, when we were doing a little bit of talking about this, I think what I said was this movie feels remarkably 1990s. And one of the mm -hmm. things that makes it feel that way is the way that it feels like it's trying to say we are colorblind in this film. Um... The, that we're not interested in the in the characters' race, um, because that feels like a very '90s progressive take, like yes, uh, or the '90s version of progressive, right? Absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a take by not making a take, you know, which is the kind of right. take that you would expect the direct the co-director of The Lion King 
to to make as opposed to the statement and, and not just a, a, a take by absence of take, but an actual definitive thought out statement that something like Get Out or a lot of the new black cinema that's coming out now in the horror realm, the thriller realm, like what we expect us to say. We have no idea what us is going to say, but the thing is we know it's going to say something and Haunted Mansion really doesn't it's it, it, it my position on it is there's no problem that the film doesn't say look these are black people they're the protagonists of the film because that is progressive to just let it be casual it could be any family um they didn't have to be a black family they are it is what it is it becomes a problem when in the last five minutes of the film it's revealed that the whole scar we're experiencing here the whole reason for the curse and this film's cosmology is a because is because of racism and it's not stated that it is and i think um, that right. is a problem because in 2003, and considering who the film is aimed at, which is, you know, nine-year-olds, if the film is assuming that you're going to just intrinsically be able to draw those lines, maybe we live in a world where people won't be able to draw those lines at that young an age. I don't think we do necessarily. We still live in a pretty bad world, <laughs> but um, it's, <Right>. it's very <laughs> non-committal. And almost like um, they that they don't that they don't say it and that they leave it veiled. Yeah, and and the insistence on it, it feels like an insistence, but also almost an ambivalence too, because it's right there. It's it's right there, and it is just below the stated surface, as you said. The the most text the subtext can be, and it feels like it's ready to jump out, and they never give it any shot never never give it any chance and it feels like this movie was playing it so safe in so many ways um especially in 2003 and especially compared to uh curse of the black pearl which is two and a half hours long and has this immense budget and was shot on location and used uh all of these special effects that were revolutionary at the time and the skeleton scenes and all of this great stuff, not to mention naval battles and these blockbuster directors and producers and actors and everybody in it so big. And then to come back to the theater three months later with 87 minutes of mostly Eddie Murphy riffing, which again, <laughs> still good, but the effects are far worse. The budget is clearly smaller. It's such a smaller film. And Curse of the Black Pearl takes some risks. It takes some risks in terms of talking about gender, um, in terms of talking about uh, the politics of the East, East India Trading Company. It doesn't. It's a it's a harsher PG thirteen Disney film. Yeah, I mean that, it doesn't that go we've there. Not seen before that. It doesn't go there in terms of racism. I'm not trying to say like, oh, Curse of the Black Pearl really nailed it, but like it did do something. It said a little bit and. This feels like a complete reversal. It feels like and a to film be fair, that, with that's Black Pearl and, and racism. Um, it doesn't try. Uh, it doesn't set that bar for itself. The ride that it's based off of doesn't really ask it to set that bar for itself. And it chooses to fight other battles, which is fine. No one expected um, a, a mm -mm. pirate film, which, you know, was a, a dead genre. Um, it had its own battles to fight trying to make a successful pirate film in, in 2003. That's the battle it fought. 
and nothing about like we've said the haunted mansion ip begged for a treatise on you know the antebellum south and interracial marriage they chose that path but they didn't really commit to it so it just sort of sits there you know soggy you know in 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 the swamp it <laughs> never really comes out and it and it should it is an interesting thing to do if you're willing to explore it and they're completely not willing to explore it and i don't even think that that's the most compromising part of the fact that this is this marriage between eddie murphy's comedy routine about black people in you know haunted houses or go you know horror situations and this Disney ride. I think that the most compromising part of it is exactly that premise, which is not a flawed premise. It's a funny comedy routine, but what you don't want necessarily is a movie where, a whole movie where you have to follow this protagonist, where the essential ethos of the protagonist is not, is is anti what Eddie Murphy perceives as white characters usually doing in this kind of British ghost story movie, which is being curious, which is opening the door, going into the room where the scary thing is, asking questions, facing down whatever the curse is and being inquisitive. And he's like, no, I'm not about that. Um, we shouldn't be about that. That's crazy. And that's basically turned into a whole movie where it's like the whole thing is, is he, he get out. He wants to get out. Um, and so you have this whole movie where he is resistant to everything uh, that is interesting and mysterious around him. Because, of course, yeah, he wants to go home. He's He doesn't need to be here. He doesn't want to be here. He only sticks around because essentially it becomes a hostage situation. Um, but that doesn't make it interesting in any way. It, 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 it's tough to say because obviously we are the writers and you'd think it would be from our perspective. But, you know, the interesting characters in the Haunted Mansion, the ride, are the ghosts, not us. Like, I never go on Haunted Mansion and think the most interesting thing about this ride is me. Is that I'm in it. <laughs> and I'm the star of the show. I, I want to I do want to complicate that for a moment, though, Charles, because Eddie Murphy literally opens the breathing door. Why would he do that? <laughs> Why? I wouldn't. He sees a breathing <laughs> door at the end of a hallway and is like, yeah, I probably have to open that one. Uh, and then he walks towards it slowly and opens it. That's true. There's no rationale for that. The, I mean, he it's is just sort like of tra trapped in a secret passageway. But he sort of vacillates in an unlogical... I mean, at least to give Megan credit, she has no character trait other than she will do it. She is curious. She will do the thing. Like, that's what's established. Uh, she kills the spider. She is brave and she knows Latin. So I mean, <laughs> She does she know Latin. Yeah, she, she and is, her mother are both curious. She uh, is I, the Disney Channel 13-year-old girl power girl. Like, that's, I mean, this is the late 90s, early 2000s definition of what, like, Disney's version of feminism is. Like, that's, that 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 is what she is in this. It, it reminds me a little bit, and to take it back exactly 10 years, of Jurassic Park. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an interactive CD-ROM. I'm a hacker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 12. Oh, it's a Unix system? No problem. Um, and 
it, that that worked in 1993, I think. Well, and, um, to, and to that point, like, let's talk a little bit about Michael Jordan Evers, like, and his relationship with his father. I mean, you're right. The film, as as with race, the film thinks that the 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 gender subversion. It, and and it, and it actually follows. It's yes. the old, probably the only thematic motif it follows through on is at the beginning of the film. Jim Evers gives us a, a talk to his son, where he says, "Don't you shouldn't be afraid. There's no need to be afraid. Just kill the spider. I'm your dad. I'm not afraid." And then at, I'm not afraid of anything. And then at I'm the not end afraid of, the of anything. Sequence, he says, "Of course, it's okay to be afraid." We're all afraid. Vulnerability is okay. And the film's like grand statement on gender norms is this notion that like men can be scared and and women can be not scared. And that's cool. I would like I would like for that to be true, except in all three of his speeches that he gives to his son about not being afraid or being afraid. He tells his 10-year-old boy to be a man. He says, be a man, buck up, like, you can do it, be a man. And even when he's saying, yes, your dad is scared, he's saying, I'm scared, so be a man and do it. She doesn't say that, but she should. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, literally. She she walks she walks into a crypt that she's the only one who knows what the Latin outside says and she says oh it's the path of the dead no nobody should go in here and she walks in no question she's unquestionably the the most active person in this whole thing and yet we're supposed to be like ah he reached through the spiders and and solved his spider fear like as a as a grand yeah, exactly like end of his arc like that like now now he reached through the spiders he has achieved bravery and manhood yeah and a poor 10 year old boy covered in tarantulas like like he's 10 he's a kid he, he literally and- is seeing zombies chase his dad and sister he's got new fears now actually <laughs> poor poor boy <laughs> poor thing i don't know it's just it's such a contradictory film that it, it it's not thematically or or internally consistent at all um, from from characters arcs to Leota being able to move on her own to like even where the film takes place um, because it's supposed to be clearly in New Orleans but at the end of the movie they're driving across that famous bridge in Florida um, so I don't know did they just like pack up and drive to Florida from New Orleans it's uh, all the way to South Florida from New after Orleans they, it's not that easy the, of a drive after they saw all that they had to leave the the state the region they <laughs> got out of town they brought the busts with them but they got out they brought the bus and Leota with them and drove through all the way through Louisiana all the way through the entirety of the state of Florida and out again in I don't know minutes. I, I am sure <laughs> that they went to Disney World along the way. However, that's sure, that's absolutely true. Is that they they're like now that we've seen the haunted mansion, time to go to the real haunted mansion in Orlando, <laughs> Florida. <laughs> you speaking speaking of the real haunted mansion in Orlando, Florida. I want to take this moment to transition to one of the only notes that I took of a, a question that I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you, Charles Gustine. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I wanted to ask you about uh, because you are uh, East Coast based I am. and you are Boston based. Uh, you've 
And um, Disney World, Walt Disney World in the Magic Kingdom is your home Disney park, correct? Yes, I am from Florida. I, I you are I, I yes, a that's right. Visitor to the Walt Disney World uh, throughout my adolescence. Yes. Have you been to Disneyland? I have not. Okay, this perfect. Because the question I have for you is, as someone who um, who has exclusively gone to the Haunted Mansion in the Magic Kingdom in Liberty Square in Orlando, Florida. Yep. How did you find or connect to, what do you think about the Haunted Mansion, New Orleans Square version of the Haunted Mansion as, as, um, as shown in this film? Like, did, did it change how you connected to it? Like emotionally, um, does it change how you view the, um, the, cause the Haunted Mansion in, in Florida is, uh, is like colonial and it's a brick building. It's, it's a and bit it's... more colonial. It's a bit more like mid Atlantic. Yes. Uh, regionally, literally architecturally to match the sort of Boston-y, uh, Philadelphia-y stuff surrounding it. Exactly. And, so uh, did that affect how you, how you uh, watched the film or connect or connected to the story at all? Not, I mean... I, I can't speak for 2003 me, um, and 2019 me is way too steeped in Disney trivia to not essentially treat the New Orleans Square Haunted Mansion as canon, even though I've never been there. Like, I mm-hmm. own Haunted Mansion books. I'm very aware of the treasured history of the plantation style haunted mansion uh that's in new orleans square so not so much that i do think when i think of the haunted mansion even though my haunted mansion is in you know let's say maryland um i think of the haunted mansion as being a fundamentally new orleanian thing and i think it's just a richer area to talk about um ghosts and the supernatural in obviously yes um, Disney has literally made a film along those lines in The Princess and the Frog. So yeah. um, I think that I have no issue with that. I do somewhat have an issue with just the... If there's one thing that Walt said, that we all know Walt said about the Haunted Mansion, it's that, you know, we would take care... The ghosts will take care of the inside. We're going to take care of the outside. Uh, and it is not from the outside a trashy, swamp-infested, um, crumbling edifice, you know? And right. the film does not um, hold to that. I mean, for somewhat obvious reasons. But also, like, it doesn't really... Like, the kid at the beginning of the film rides up on his bicycle. And there's no way anyone could come upon this house and be like, that is not... A haunted place. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and which, there... which, which problematizes things a little bit, I think. From a, how much can I believe that the characters I'm following are not stupid people? Um, <laughs> pre- you know, premise. <laughs> and and there are things about um, Disneyland's haunted mansions specifically that, like you say, they they kind of contrast against the uh, spookiness of the inside. Um, that when when you put them next to their film counterparts uh just don't feel like quite as effective there there are um for example the the foyer like there's something about this kind of like 
people don't have foyers like most people and yet this <laughs> house has one and past it is a portrait room um whereas in the film the foyer is this immense grand double staircase like hall which like, doubles as the ballroom and i think that that is the worst set design it is the only thing in the mansion that doesn't feel particularly inspired by anything from the ride and it also doesn't feel particularly inspired because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's kind of like the um the ballroom slash dining room in the um in the one scene in the swinging wake and the swinging wake where you're looking down over the balcony. It's almost like that, but not exactly. Yeah. It's uh, the ballroom is, is bigger, is a lot larger and plainer. And the dining room is clearly in a separate space. It's a very big house. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. Is, and it I, is a lot of rooms. Large, yes. I think, I think it, the, yeah. the house never feels big in the film, despite having bigger rooms. Um, there are things about in the ride that that feel like they they extend forever. I mean, not the least of which is the endless hallway, right? Which, the endless which hallway. is meant to make you feel like, oh, this house is huge. It's enormous. But then there's such a sense of scale. Maybe it's a case of like having been been there, right? Like you're there and you can you can see just how big this is. Um, and yet it doesn't feel like unreasonably big either. But there are things about the the movie one that make it feel like, wait a minute, this room is way too big. And also, wait a minute, this is all really cramped. I'm thinking specifically of Leota's room and how cramped that scene felt to me. Uh, oh, also, they were like, oh, oh, he found her. He found her like she was lost or missing in a giant house. Uh, like they didn't know where she was. Right. And, and then later on, it seems like the, that room is like basically connected with the attic they're in anyway. Like... It yes. seems like they just walk straight there and maybe there's a long walk between them. But once they've found her, it, like basically they treat those spaces as if they're completely connected. And th- uh, there's yes. a there's a certain like otherworldliness to the to the mansion where it's like you can go outside, but just to the graveyard and like otherwise you can't get in or out. And uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when Eddie Murphy is trying to break his way back into the mansion and the mansion is healing itself. Yeah. Uh, that's very I cool it's, it's extremely cool I think it's amazing and like giving the mansion its own sense of like kind of bigger on the inside space could have been a cool goal for the film um, but I don't think it gets there uh, not in the way the Haunted Mansion attraction gets there and it certainly does uh, in my opinion the attraction anyways right it ha- and it, 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 it I mean you're literally in a 3D space that has to kind of fold in on itself and you do get us you're immersed in it um but i do think that that's achievable in film you know i think that crimson peak is a very immersed you get a real sense for that space it's playful uh it's weird and that's the thing that i think is missing from haunted mansion that of course the specter that hangs over all of this is the long in long planned potential guillermo del toro you know, Haunted Mansion film that sort of became um, redundant when he made Crimson Peak, which is a Haunted Mansion film that is its own IP. Bless him. Great. Um, There's still a plan, I believe, for him to make an actual Haunted Mansion film. But I think that he would, while he would do justice to things like the Endless Hallway, you know, I think that's the kind of thing that he would latch on to, which is the sort of eeriness 
of the haunted mansion but also the there's the the perverse the perversity of it the, or the way that it perverts our sense of death being a bad thing as you guys have alluded to i think he could play with all those themes i just think that the fundamental issue at the heart of any potential haunted mansion adaptation uh and you know millions of dollars to whoever solves this problem is who is exactly the problem that this film comes up against and that i don't know that a guillermo del toro adaptation could solve which is who is the film about it is a ride about ghosts uh and we are just uh we're trying whether we're potentially being recruited into that you know um in into the ghostly realm but it's not about us and it's very it's very difficult and almost antithetical to make a film where the protagonist is a ghost it's it's much more natural to say we will instead focus this around an audience identification character who is alive and investigating the ghostliness maybe they're a paranormal investigator maybe they are an ancestor maybe they are um in this case a real estate agent but whatever the case may be they're not the ghost um so i that's kind of the thing that needs to be solved when it comes to the haunted mansion film is how do you put the audience in a position where they are experiencing it and feeling that immersion but um we're also not potentially trying to just create this audience stand-in when the real treasure is these these just fascinating things that you pass by on this ride the hat box ghost and the organ ghost and you know what who are they um and this film doesn't come even close to scratching the surface of really trying to crack any of that no it it creates three main character ghosts and gives us their problems uh and then two side character ghosts and a crystal ball lady and gives us their problems. Um, and <laughs> and I think if, to do a little bit of speculation here, if somebody wanted to tackle the Haunted Mansion as a ride to be adapted to film, uh, and I still think Del Toro would do a pretty great job, sure. I, think, I think a huge challenge would be finding a way to take some of the implied story of the Haunted Mansion that uh, is so unstated by the ride, uh, stuff that is just kind of left around for you to interpret, finding a way to take that interpretive nature of the environment and turning it into a stated narrative with a definite structure. Uh, and and that could be really difficult uh, to the point where I think you might as well not, uh, and you might as well focus only on the stated stuff, but the stated stuff is... There's a murderous bride who um, went through several husbands and now uh, is also a ghost. And the ghosts also live here and they're happy. Um, oh, uh, can I talk about Constance Hatchaway for a second? Uh, only if you let me say, I thought she was in this movie. Like, that's what <laughs> I remembered. I thought I thought no. that she was introduced in this film and that no. she would eventually show up and be like, haha, I am the killer bride. And I was like, no, fun, fun fact. She was not introduced to the ride, the Haunted Mansion until 2006. Jeez. They literally made a Haunted Mansion film full of its own lore and its own um, story. And then less than three years later uh, went, 
nah, and just replaced the entire and, and 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 still remodeled the inside of of the ride, the haunted mansion. But instead of taking what they've already established in a film, just invented an entirely new story um, about Constance Hatchway, it's weird because- a woman who has murdered six men. Yeah. <laughs> Which it's weird because it feels like she's she's there. She's like in the ride right so she couldn't be that new but then again her ghost effect is so 2006 it hurts so but also but it was before it was just a bride an unnamed bride with a beating heart and so like that that so they were like instead of what they could have done and and i'm glad they didn't obviously was uh take out the bride and put in elizabeth and put in the the portrait of elizabeth and be like oh i was killed by the butler he got me and mr gacy and i are doomed to be apart or whatever like they could have done that to the haunted mansion in 2000 in 2006 really really bad um and and i'm glad obviously that they didn't do it but like Disney full blown just started ignoring the the Haunted Mansion film exists and just chose to do their planned remodel of the Haunted Mansion, but just invent a new story altogether. I'm not entirely surprised that they didn't like put an animatronic of this Master Gracie in 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 the ride like they've done with Jack Sparrow. Ramsley maybe Ramsley would be interesting. Ramsley is Ramsley would be awesome, but. I'm not surprised. I will say, though, that, like, the Haunted Mansion universe is perhaps, because of a few different factors and and sort of happy accident, is one of the richer um, things that Disney has because it's been adapted into every, you know, Magic Kingdom variant, sometimes in radically different Mm -hmm. ways. The original, you know before the current iteration which has a more solid story sort of infamously doesn't have um a definitive story there were like five or six different backstories that um ran the gamut from silly to like oh my god you can't put that in front of seven-year-olds uh and (laughs) instead of choosing one they just sort of put them all in and so that's part of the delight of the Haunted Mansion, at least in its Orlando and and California um, forms, is that you get these just snippets as you pass by each figure. They don't all seem to fit together. And that's sort of the thing is like the, you know, what Walt Disney said before, before the first Haunted Mansion opened, which took forever. Um, it was it basically just a vacant, not, yeah, it was it was an unopened edifice uh, facade for many years. People thought that the building might actually be haunted because it took so long. But Walt sort of said as promotion, like that this is a retirement home for British ghosts uh, who were, you know, displaced by the Blitz in World War II. I mean, it has that sort of hodgepodge feel to it. But then you also have these haunted mansions in France, especially Phantom Manor uh, and Mystic Manor, that have immense, like really detailed, engaging stories. So overall, across all the haunted mansions that exist, you have like probably 20 different weird, wonderful, only half fleshed out ideas for what the haunting is. Um, and, uh, 
interestingly, the, the Eddie Murphy film went for none of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it went for none of Not them. One. Phantom Manor existed by that point. And Phantom Manor is beloved for its actual honest to God story. Like you could go buy a novelized version of it and being, and, and it would be a page turner type story. Um, but I'll, and, and yet, yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yet it was like, let's instead do a thing that we can do in the opening credits in about 10 seconds. Um, and that's sort <laughs> of what this will all be about. So, I mean, it's just, it is a film where there's not a lot there, there, and it shows the characters are not engaging. And I do think, I think it would be easy to make a better Haunted Mansion film I am curious what it would take to make a great Haunted Mansion film. I don't think it's as easy as Pirates of the Caribbean, which was a feat in its own right. Like I said, pirate films were dead and then they weren't. But, you know, pirates, like the, the, the pitch is... <laughs> yeah. pirates, pirates are active. Yeah. They have adventures. It, They're it not can be the one place. almost anything yeah. you want it to be. Yeah. Um, and ghosts inherently tend to be confined to one place. Although, interestingly, these ghosts can call house lines, even though they don't appear to have a... You know, the one th thing that really troubled me is I don't think the haunted mansion that they visit has electricity. And I would expect a real estate agent to call that out. Why are you, Why do you have to carry candles down the hallway? Why are all of these <laughs> gas lamps... Well, you know, it does have a lot of toilets. But they have right? a phone line. It does have toilets. Um, but yeah, so they can call landlines. Um, they can apparently control the weather, um, which seems like a lot and seems like... I don't know, magic. You know, <laughs> ghosts. Yeah. Um, or they're in connection oh, with God, who in this universe is quite a fickle person. <laughs> yes, yeah, just so, so upset, I think. Uh, uh, what about um, they can become um, they they can they can become like you can walk through them if they want to they can go from being tangible to intangible um, until he is totally intangible but also is care is carrying Hedy Murphy up right. by the neck up to the window he gets to choose. Um, yeah, he gets to at choose. the same time. Um, well, you get to yeah, you can just do different body parts as tangible or intangible. Gonna, yeah, something we haven't that brought strange. up, which is fascinating, because the haunted mansion does not um, include this in its cosmology, uh, and it seems like a complicating factor. It's a good complicating factor because Rick Baker is actually the best part about. Um, this Haunted Mansion film, the, the makeup artist, uh, zombies are, are not something that is part of the Haunted Mansion ride. No, um, no. And, 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 and it's, I mean, who gets to become a ghost and get, who gets to become a zombie? Like, where is that laid out in the oh, sand? I really felt like, like they were, they were two very separate kinds of haunts, like that, that you're either a blue ghost, <laughs> like. You're either a blue ghost or you're a skeleton. Or you're a, a skeleton. But, but like, so are those the bodies of the ghosts that are running around and the bodies are yeah, animated? Bodies are so like evil bad guy uh, possessed ghosts versus. No, but they're not ghosts. The ghosts are running around being spirits. Why are, why like, are the zombies so, playing badminton or whatever? Why are the zombies so aggressive? <laughs> like if they were just ghosts playing badminton and then then they started to chase down people that disturbed their graves like i feel like it's two different things these are all um, good questions and i don't i do not yeah i do not unfortunately <laughs> think that the the text 
holds any answers for us. <laughs> Dang it! All right. Think, so, all right. I think I've got I've got kind of one more thing, uh, and it it is this, uh, Charles. You said that there are like twenty different haunted attraction stories at Disney parks alone. Uh, not to mention six actual canonical ones, but also other um, theoretical ones and, and ones that were kind of tossed out or melded into the next one. Um, and I think that's actually kind of the strength of the original Haunted Mansion ride is that it doesn't have any of the stories. It has little bits of story and in doing so is able to to capture a lot of the iconography hey that's the name of the podcast uh of haunting and it's able to do it in a really broad stroke sort of a way and by lacking that specificity it it it, it's able to draw in more people it's able to say here's a thing you relate to like i have a favorite ghost from the haunted mansion it's the wine one it's the one with the wine on the chandelier uh (laughs) he's a good ghost ghost. it's not your favorite ghost is it alice um, I mean, no, if I if I have to right now choose a, a favorite ghost, it's probably the two guys shooting each other, um, like in the yeah. in, in yeah, the portrait. Th- that's fair. <laughs> I really like them. Um and and they get to be in the movie. Um they're one of the first ghosts you see when you enter the enter the graveyard. Oh, fair enough. Um, but they don't get to shoot each other out of portraits. Not not out of portraits, but they do get to shoot each right. other. Um it's very good. Yeah. And, um, and anyways, the, there's the genre vagueness that Pirates of the Caribbean also has. But I think by nailing itself down to a narrative, Haunted Mansion loses where Pirates of the Caribbean gained a little bit. Uh, instead of being like, it's about these pirates and these fun adventures, it became, it's not really about anything except these lame ghosts. Good luck. Uh <laughs> and that's, I think, why Haunted Mansion might be a little bit more resistant to ever being made into just one film. Um, a universe of films, perhaps, like you said. Um, but each each entry would have to find its own identity. And that would be really tough. So um, I want to uh, start wrapping this up because we've been recording for a while. Um, but uh, I just want to... Uh, maybe end on a high note and uh, reverse this dunk fest a little bit. We all watched this movie together. Um, uh, what was your guys's favorite? Uh, fav- I want your favorite part of the movie, and I want your favorite um, performance from from the film. Oh, geez, one of you guys start. I'm not ready. <laughs> I'll go. My <laughs> my favorite thing in the movie is even though I said they have no purpose and this is not the bus the bus are worthless the hitchhiking (laughs) ghost that one little hitchhiking ghost when he says they can't see us (laughs) I I find that hilarious not the other ghost not anything else about it just that little tiny ghost with his weird little voice makes me happy and along those lines I think I've said already while Terrence Stamp is fully committed I don't find that to be a really interesting character and so I have to give the crown to Jennifer Tilly who I think Mm -hmm. when she turns on her sassiness is like the thing that I think I remember most about this film yes yes she's sassy I wish they had done a little less voice modulating on her because I think she's very funny and the amount of like auto-tune her voice gets is uh, a little much but um but yeah all of her her sassy jokes are are very good I do appreciate that 
Uh, buddy, do you have an answer yet? Uh, sure. Um, I would say that my favorite performance in the entire thing, and I know, I know we've kind of handed it to him already, but I think Eddie Murphy really does bring it. And I, I don't hate him in this movie at all. In fact, I think there's a lot about his character that if, if just pushed a little bit more by the script could be really fun. I like the idea of the smarmy real estate agent in over his head, uh, but also fully committed to figuring out a way to make a sale until the point where it's like obvious that you're not going to be selling this house because it's made of ghosts. <laughs> um, like, I, I kind of wish that he had stayed a little bit more ignorant throughout the film and been like, ah, yes, uh, uh, I, I I agree. Having a conservatory is a very good selling point. Um, and like just kind of really pushing that as like his last holdout for like keeping sanity in the situation. And I know this. Yes, this is like a little bit of wishful thinking, but I think he does some of that early in the film and really holds together he, the first 40 minutes that way. He does it all the way up to meeting Madame Leota when he uh, when he goes up to the breathing door and he tries to justify it with, I don't know, termites, yeah, probably termites. Um, which is very good. And if he had stuck with that, maybe a little bit longer yeah. uh, or done uh, done a few more versions of that joke throughout. I would have. Yes, I agree. That would have been. excellent. Yeah. And, and I think I think I've got there are a couple of moments I really liked. I already touched on Eddie Murphy um, hitting hitting the window and the window unbreaking. Um, and how I just thought that was a great concept for this haunted house to give it like an otherworldly power. Um, but I think, gosh, you, the more you talk up Ma the Madame Leota uh, portrayal here, I, I kind of really do love, look, buddy, I don't make the rules here. I just work here, <laughs> all right? Like, like great. The, whole, the whole exchange about the key in the trunk, which is so dumb. And thankfully, the script calls out a little bit how dumb it is yeah and it it actually works it shouldn't work but because jennifer tilly pulls that out of the fire and makes it work i mean yes. like it, it's so yeah. unexpected she's the only ghost that feels like she um i mean okay is madame leota one of the ghosts i mean oh that's a bit of a bigger question actually but she's the, she still exists after the rapture so oh i guess gosh. not yeah she's she's literally an enchanted crystal ball with like a, a different sort of a spirit in there yeah um and so do the busts and the busts yeah. don't get to who knows what's going on with them i don't know um but i i think i think she i didn't expect it in the moment and in the moment i remember going what is this why is she suddenly this way? Why, why Why? did she suddenly stop speaking in rhyme? Right. Like, why? And, and honestly, in retrospect, she's carrying that part of the film. She is, yeah. she is doing something that nobody else in the movie is doing. And that's knowing how silly everything is. And I appreciate that about that moment there. Um, Alice, what about you? Uh, well, I'm going to get... I'm going to give my uh, best performance in the film award to Terrence Stamp. He deserves it. Um, I, I honestly, I love like I love Jennifer Tilly. I love Eddie Murphy. They, uh, I, I think we really have singled out the three the three best uh, in in the movie because uh, Terrence Stamp's commitment to um, to how 
how droll he is and how he's like a little sarcastic and also just how often he's uplit dramatically to like look like a skull is just so good he just uh, they they do such a good job of the, the makeup and lighting on him and he just leans into it really heavily and i appreciate that i think he he shows the most commitment to um, to being a ghost. Of, of all of the <laughs> archetypes in the movie, he plays creepy butler to a T. Uh, yes, he's to the point, he's to the so point where good. no one else should ever play creepy butler. Like, no, he nailed it. Absolutely. It. Right, yeah. He, he's, yeah. The, he's the end-all be-all. I mean, like, he even has a frame for it, whereas his shoulders are rather squared, and then he's kind of a, a very modest triangle down, right? Where where we we can see how he fits the bill for Butler. Yes, he's a perfect Butler. I uh, I adore him and I and I love how he portrayed the Butler as uh as as cheesy as a lot of his stuff is and um and how strange it is that he goes to hell by damning other people to hell. Like I don't I don't know how that works, but I'm for it, I guess. Um I really um yeah, I, I I like how much he reminded me of, uh, and I've already said this, but of, of, of Frollo from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, that was uh, it was very good for me. Um, I think my favorite part of the film, like favorite scene in the film, will go to. Um, I think I'm gonna go for riding the hearse through all of the ghosts, and and the like rapid fire references to. I know we just talked about how 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 we weird it was, on but the, it like. A little. We were dunking on it a little bit, but I think looking at it, trying to not dunk, trying to find the merits in it, I really liked a rapid fire one, two, three punch of um, of all the references in a row, and how it how I think yeah, I think that would be my my favorite because it went from feeling like oh this is uh you know a, a, an Eddie Murphy horror movie to reminding me why we were watching it in the first place. Um, it was, yeah, it was like a gentle reminder, like, hey, hey, this is a Haunted Mansion film. Not gentle, a, a, not a, an, an ungentle a bit reminder. Of a whack over the head with Haunted Mansion stuff. And, yes, but I, I liked the, the, you know, we see the ghosts shooting at each other and, and, and everybody partying in the, in the graveyard with the hearse that is parked outside of the, you know, that, that hearse is with the invisible ghost uh, horse is parked right outside of the Haunted Mansion in California. And it was like, you didn't have to do this, Wallace Shawn. You didn't have to put us in a, in a hearse and, and take us out the window, but you did. And, um, gum. And, 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 and by gosh, you did. So, um, yeah, I think that would probably be a highlight. And you gotta, me. you gotta admit that that part is the most ride-like. Uh, in my opinion, there are two moments that reference the Omnimover, praise the Omnimover. I'll praise the Omnimover. Um, and th the first is Eddie Murphy gets pushed into a chair as Madame Leota makes the room spin and the, the yes. instruments fly around. And then the other is the entire family in the back of the hearse looking at all these ghosts being like, whoa, ghosts, all the ghosts. Yeah. And it, and, and it really does genuinely remind me of like, not just why we watch this movie, but like why we do the podcast, like why being on a ride or, or talking about rides and attractions in, in a broader cultural, like context, it has become so important to us over our lives. And I think that, um, and I think that's why those scenes and this film are, uh, have, uh, merit. 
I agree. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> You're welcome. Would marginally recommend. If you, if you Would, want, yes, yeah. more so maybe than Country Bears. If you want like a time capsule of a middle of the road family comedy from 2003 that will keep you marginally entertained, you could do worse than this film. Yeah, it is. It is pushing no boundaries to the point of fault, um, and it is taking very few risks. And to the point of fault. To the point of fault, and it is uh, very, very by the numbers to the point of fault. <laughs> but also, it is wholly, it is wholly inoffensive and not that scary, and probably would be okay to watch with kids. Probably. Uh, um, so wholly inoffensive. Sorry, I'm I'm popping back in really quick. So wholly, in so wholly inoffensive <laughs> that at one point Eddie Murphy says the says the words, "Wow, those are huge knockers," and does not turn that into a joke. It's literally it's the young Frankenstein joke, right? Look at that set of knockers, right? Right, but he literally just says it, and he doesn't get like an eye roll out of his wife. He doesn't get any reaction at all. He literally says the words, and then they go inside the house and they and, look at knockers. And it, it that is is so funny to me. I guess on on its own. The, the like anti-joke about the knockers uh, is so Disney and so inoffensive and so like so clean. Um, it is exactly the rest of that movie. Yes. Like it, it is the it is the line that for me defines this movie. It's a joke without a punchline. <laughs> it's a reference without meaning. It's it's icons without without cultural context without, whatsoever. Without context. Without <laughs> their weight. Um, and and it's, and, and is that good or is that bad? We'll never know. <laughs> it's and it's fine. It is a solid six out six six and a half out of ten. No, Ooh, no, six I, out of ten. I was gonna five, say I was gonna 5. say point five out of ten. I was gonna say four, but four out that's of ten. Fine. Wow. Well, my my score keeps dropping. <laughs> what about you, Charles? Do you have a amount out of ten? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with a four out of ten too. I'm not gonna be as generous All as right. Roger Ebert was and go above the halfway point. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe it, but he he must have had a pretty good time. Well, friends, it seems that our conversation about the haunted mansion, the movie 2003, starring Eddie Murphy has come to an end. Uh, but the conversation continues online. Yes, the conversation continues on the internet. If you want to find us and talk to us on the internet, we are most active on Twitter. Uh, you can find the podcast at, at Happy Places Pod on Twitter. You can find me individually at Alice White THP. Uh, and you can find me at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Remember, Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. <laughs> and uh, and that's where we are on the Internet. And you know what we do. But uh, Charles, uh, how can people find you on the Internet and tell people about your work? Yes, you can find me personally at Charles Gustine. That's G-U-S-T-I-N-E. You can find my podcast, Iconography Podcast, at, uh, at Iconography Pod on Twitter and at Iconography Podcast everywhere else. And you're hearing it here first because I haven't gotten to my new episode yet. I have a new website uh, as opposed to the old one, which I've had since the beginning. And it is just iconographypodcast.com. Uh, yeah, I know. So you can go check it out. Uh, and we'll see if you beat me to my own episode. You probably will. So you'll have an exclusive uh, first, first breaking news story. 
uh, there. All right. Well, I don't think we've ever broken news on the podcast before. This is really incredible. <laughs> Play it up on Twitter, man. At Buddy uh, do you have it? <laughs> do you have anything new coming out so- coming out soon, Charles? Uh, podcast wise. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Mayflower two episode. So that is Excellent. not that is not just the second part of the Mayflower uh, episode. It is explicitly about the Mayflower two, which is the uh, replica ship that you can visit uh, in Plymouth today, uh, and it is a, a long one, but a good one. I'm so excited. Can't wait. And I, I really like your uh, location episodes where you like go there and talk about the people and the the things that happen at these locations with these icons. So I cannot wait to hear Yes, it. I cannot recommend iconography enough. I tell everyone to listen to it all the time. My favorites being Crimson Peak, especially. Uh, but also I'm very attached to the Salem episode. Um, loved, loved hearing you talk about Salem. So good. And I uh, cried when I listened to the Terry Pratchett episode. And I, at that point, had not read any of the Discworld novels, <laughs> and now I'm reading the Discworld novels. Good. And having all of that context uh, for Pratchett and the way that he viewed magic has made the the reading process just so much better. Yes. Yeah, so uh, thank you, thank you, Charles, and thank you, Charles, so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, we, I'm so glad that we got to fulfill our uh, our our Patreon uh, bonus to you of a, of a watch party yeah. uh, and also got a chance to, to record our thoughts and feelings about it. Cause we just, we love it and respect your opinions and feelings so much that we just couldn't, we couldn't not have you on the show. This has Thank you for agreeing absolute, to this. Yeah. This has been an absolute joy. <laughs> <laughs> it's an honor and a privilege. You are an excellent podcaster, a great part of the community. And I'm so glad we could do this and share it with everybody else. Speaking of community, Alice. Oh, tell me more. Do we have a, an online place where people can join us and talk to us at length instead of 240 characters at a time? As a matter of fact, we do. We have a Discord server, the Those Happy Places Discord server. It, we have uh, threads and conversations constantly about Disney and not Disney and park food and general muckery. You can come and have these conversations with us anytime you want. If you want a direct link to the Those Happy Places Discord, you can send us an email at thosehappyplaces at gmail.com or tweet at us. Yeah. Um, oh, and Alice, right now, our audience is hearing our theme music. Our theme music, which is Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers, featuring Phil Alvin. Yes, you can find that and many other tracks on www.thecaliforniafeetwarmers.com. Uh, and I'm going to add some additional music. The additional music by Kevin McLeod? Yeah, available on his free music archive, available via uh, Open License 3.0. Thank you so much, Kevin McLeod, for all of the great ambient tracks that you let us and other podcasters and other creative people use. You're the best. Uh, listeners, uh, if you wouldn't mind helping us out, uh, go to uh, bit.ly slash THP survey and fill out the uh, listener demographic survey. We want to learn more about you because you listen to us and we want to know who you are. So please, 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 please do that. Thank you. And to everyone out there listening, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places. 